Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. never gets old, does it? Man, goodness. I was sitting over there, and I'm still feeling this way. I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to preach after that. Just all kind of all kind of emotional. You know, to see the, the, the work that God does in people's lives. <laughs> you know, the kind, of, the kind of work that would make somebody get up in front of hundreds of strangers and get dunked. I mean, they all had the same question. How do we do that? What is it? And we said, we bring a giant hot tub into the auditorium (laughs) and we just do it. We just, we just do it. I don't know. It's, uh, Jesus didn't say you had to have a hot tub, but he did give us this image of the uh, baptized, buried in likeness of his death, raised again to walk and newness of life and all of this began 2,000 years ago in the event we celebrated last weekend the, the death the burial the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that moment became a movement it it became what we're doing 2,000 years later we're we can't stop talking about it. It's, it's everything to us. And, and it's fair to ask, how, how, does that, how does that happen? How do we go from the moment to the movement? What is it that, you know, how did, the, you know, just like, how did it happen? And so I thought we'd pick up where we left off last weekend with these conversations that Jesus had, these these sort of candid conversations. And I just wanna, I wanna look at the conversations that happened right around that time, kind of right after the resurrection, the, inter, uh, the interaction that Jesus had with people while he was still on earth and he's talking to them and he's, he's setting the stage and he's speaking these things into her like, no, 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 I, I want you to get this. I want you to understand that this, this is how it's going to work in my kingdom. One of the most famous of those conversations happens with someone named Peter, and you may be familiar with the name of Peter. In fact, you may be familiar with this tragic story that happens in Peter's life right at the time of Jesus' arrest, where he goes and he's, he's following to see Jesus put on trial and and then he famously denies them. Let me, let me read it to you because I think it's important to set the stage. Peter is watching Jesus be tried and he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, he says, he says to this person who's come and said, hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? And he says, man, I don't know what you're, you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So they're close enough that maybe from inside the house to outside the house, Jesus looks and their eyes meet. And suddenly the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind, this, 
This prediction from just verses before, it says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. And, and here's how it finishes. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. In fact, truth be told, that's the last we see of Peter for a good long while. He's not at the crucifixion. He's not at the burial. He's nowhere to be found. There's a backstory to this, though. There, there, there's a few verses before. It tells us that Jesus actually predicted this would happen. You may, you may remember that, and that's what this verse references when, when he says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. Three times you're going to deny me. And, but, but I, I want to go back and read that because you may have missed a part because I know it's easy, and, and, and I've sometimes just rushed by it, but, but I think there's something there because here's why this is important that peter peter's faith just didn't it it, it didn't stand the test <laughs> i mean peter dropped the ball Whew. his faith failed him and listen what's remarkable about this is that peter saw jesus right and maybe you're like me you thought if i saw jesus if i like physically saw jesus and i saw him make a leprous man whole i would never doubt if i like heard jesus like audible voice talk to me i would never doubt i would have perfect faith if i saw jesus make a blind man see i would have perfect faith if i saw him make a, a lame man walk i'd have perfect faith if i saw him like he did with lazarus raise lazarus from the dead whew, i mean i would never doubt i would be all in jesus just show me your power and peter saw all of that And in that crucial moment, his faith just wilted away to nothing. How does that happen? Jesus, here's what Jesus said, and the backstory is, is, is pretty interesting. In, in verses before, going back in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it, it all starts off. Jesus says this. He says, Simon, Simon. Now, here's something you should know. Uh, Jesus gave... Peter, his name. It was a new name. It represented who he was in Christ and what Christ was calling him to do and be. It was his, it was his discipleship, his apostleship. It was his, his calling. It was his identity. But his original name, his birth name was Simon. So you have all through his life, you have this dichotomy between the old man that he was, Simon, and the new man that Christ was calling him to be. In fact, in the book that Peter writes in his first book he calls himself Peter he introduces himself this is Peter but in his second book he represents himself as Simon Peter both the old man and the new man he's more mature he recognizes man I'm a hot mess sometimes and I'm just trying to figure it out but he's being honest and transparent so here, Jesus is speaking to him. And watch what Jesus does. He doesn't use the name he gave him. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. And he doesn't do it just once. He does it twice. It's like he's, it's like he's saying, hey, pay attention. Because everything is on the line here. Your calling, your identity, your following after me is on the line. Simon, Simon. Listen to me. And then he says this. He gives him a behind-the-scenes look. He says, Satan has asked to 
sift each of you like wheat. And he said, I'm just, Satan is, is going to tempt you. He's going to test you. He's, he's after you. He's out to get you. In verse 32, he says, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, that's not what I want Jesus to say to me. I want him to say, but I kicked Satan's butt and he's not coming after you anymore. Right? Like Satan wanted to mess with you, but you're my guy. So it's good. Don't worry. Satan can't come near you. And Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus says two things. He says, listen, he says, I'm praying for you. Now, <laughs> this might show the problem we have with prayer because when somebody says they're praying for we're like, oh, thoughts and prayers, thank you very much. But when Jesus is praying for you, like when Jesus says, Simon, I'm interceding for you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to the Father for you on your behalf. I'm calling down the power of heaven to protect you. And then he says, Simon, that your faith should not fail so that when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Like, listen, when, when this passes, there's a hope and a future for you. You're, 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 you're gonna go through a time of testing and it's gonna feel like it's just breaking you apart and but on the other side of it, I've got a job for you. But he says, Simon, I've prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. The, the word that he uses here for, for fail is a, a Greek word, eklepo. And it's where we get eclipse from. And, and that, that's, a, that's a helpful analogy. It, it means to, to end. I'm praying that your faith doesn't, doesn't end. But you, you understand the word eclipse because we're used to the use of that word. But, but, but here it, it has a helpful analogy. Is it, it, It's something that blocks out the view, something that ends the view, something that cuts it off. In other words, Peter, listen, something is going to come between you and me. And it's going to challenge your faith. Like you're, you're not going to be able to see me. And, and it's going to put you to the test. Something is going to come. And, 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 and this is what Jesus is saying. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't let anything get between you and me. Don't let anything let your eyes be taken off me because if you can't see me, your faith fails. Yeah, you know, remember, like I, I have a theory that Cape Cod kids should all grow up to be the best drivers in the world. Let me give you my theory for that. Because, because every kid who's learned to drive on Cape Cod after they've, well, most of them, I'm going to tell you a little secret, most of them learned to drive in the church parking lot. I don't know how we became that, but like we are like ground zero for parking, you know, driver education, right? And we're like, all right. I mean, they set up cones. They teach them parallel parking. They drive around. Nobody's taken out a light pole yet. But you know how it is. You're teaching your kid to, to drive. And then when you think they're sufficiently ready, what are they ready for? They're ready for a rotary. <laughs> all right, let's go. 
We're going to the Bourne Rotary. But to go to the Bourne Rotary, at least from Falmouth, you gotta go, you gotta go through, you know, you gotta get through the Otis Rotary. So you gotta hit two rotaries. We're gonna hit the Rotary. And then, if you're really ready, you hit the Bourne Rotary and the bridge. <laughs> bridge is like the most terrifying thing. Now, if you've been driving a long time, you've forgotten that, that, that how terrifying it is. The first time you go over that thing, right, it's like this, this tight thing. You got 17-foot curbs on one side, and you got, you got giant trucks racing at you on the other side. And so you've just navigated two rotaries and you're like sweating bullets and you're like, you're, you got both hands on the, and your parents are sweating bullets too. And then you get to that, you get to that bridge and you start, and here's what happens. You may have forgotten this because you're so used to it, but the first time, these are steep bridges. They're not the steepest, but they're pretty steep bridges. So especially if you're in like a little car, you're in like a little Corolla or something, the first time it goes, your nose is going up and you're used to being able to see the ground in front of you in those little lines. And all of a sudden, all you can see is like blue sky and it's like going up a roller coaster. And all of a sudden, it's like you can't see what you used to see, and there's cars racing at you, and you're terrified because there's something blocking your view, and it's the hood of your car. <laughs> We're terrified, and, and that's a little bit of what he's saying. Like, don't let anything get between you and me because I'm telling you, he says, like, something's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna come in between us, and it's gonna test your faith because you're not going to be able to see me. And when you take your eyes off of Jesus, man, it's just, it's all bets are off. In fact, we could talk about a lot of things that sort of come between us and Jesus, but there may be two of them that are, that are most significant to talk about, and both of them show up in Peter's life. And I'll bet they, they show up in your life too. I know they do in mine. And I was reading through this and I woke up this morning thinking about it. I'm like, man, Lord, this is just me. It's just me. Here's the first one. You know what comes between you and Jesus that tests your faith? Your strengths. The things you're good at. The things that have made you who you are. In fact, that's exactly what happens, Peter. Let me, um, let me, let me show you. Matthew chapter 26 offers a parallel account of, of all of this. And, um, and, and it adds a little bit of detail about Peter. Let me read it to you. It says, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31. It says, on the way, Jesus told them, he's telling his disciples, tonight, all of you, Will desert me for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered <laughs> verse 33 and Peter declared <laughs> of course he did even if everyone else deserts you I will never never these slackers I've been hanging out with for the last three years, Jesus, yeah, they're likely to run on you, but me, I'm your guy. Me, I'll never. I'm strong, I'm able, I'm committed, I'm all in. You put your trust in me. 
You told me I was a rock. I'm in. Jesus replied in verse 34, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. <laughs> I would, no. I got this. I would never, I'm, man, I'm, I got this. I'm strong, I'm able, I'm good, I'm committed. You see, we have to be careful that what we call our faith in Jesus is not actually our faith in ourselves with just a thin coating of Jesus thrown over it. Like when I say, I, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. It, do we really, or do I trust in myself and I put a little layer of Jesus on it? You know, like, a, uh, like, like, like that gold plating, right? Is that true? Is that real? Is that the real thing? Is it authentic? Or do I really just trust in me? Because a lot of what we say is faith is faith in me with a little Jesus juice shaken on top of it. You want to know how you can tell? Here's the sure sign that your faith may be a veneer of Jesus and a lot of you. There's one sure sign. Anxiousness. <laughs> Who doesn't struggle with that? Anxiousness, worry, fear. Because when it's all up to me, I'm not sure I can pull it off. When it's all about my strength, my charisma, my personality, my friend circle, my network, my skill, my job, my ability to bring it home, take care of things, keep the group together, be a good mom, be a good dad. When it's all about me, I become riddled, riddled with anxiety because deep down, the veneer of Jesus I talk about, I really, really, really mostly just believe it's up to me and it's crushing. I grew up in the era, I feel like this has come back in, but when I was a teenager in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, gold chains became a thing. Guys, remember this? Some of my people in your 50s, remember this? We cool people. And unfortunately, I was in a church setting that thought gold chains were of the devil, so it was like a tension. Um, that's another story. Um, but, but everybody, all the, all the cool kids had gold chains, right? You'd wear it on the outside. We weren't putting stuff on it. And it wasn't like, you know, like rapper gold chains that it looked like, you know, you could lock your bike up with it. These were just, you know, these were just little, little, little gold chains. But it was gold. Or at least it was supposed to be gold. Because gold's expensive. You remember this? And you knew, ah, you, you, you might not want to wear that in the water. Right? Right? Oh, yeah, it's gold. It's gold. 
except it turns my skin green. That was a sign, like, like I knew, I knew underneath the, the, the plating, underneath the thin skin was something else. And I was anxious. I didn't want to get it wet because I, I didn't want to reveal. I didn't want it to be seen that it wasn't authentic. It wasn't true. You see, that's what anxiousness is. It's like a sign to the soul that says, I'm trusting more in me than I am in him. And it's a reminder to take my eyes off of me and put them on to him. But there, there's one more, because it, and, and it's sort of the opposite. If, if, if our strengths are one of those things that kind of eclipse our view of God, then, then the other one is our failures. Our, our just our embarrassing weaknesses, our inability to get it right. We last saw Peter, Luke 22, verse 62. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. That's it. He's out. Let me read to you a short passage from Mark chapter 16. It describes the angel uh, giving the message from Jesus for the disciples. And it's beautiful, but you have to watch closely what it says. The angel said, now this is Jesus risen. They're just finding it out. It's all brand new. And the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. And now they had a message from Jesus. Watch this. Now, go and tell his disciples. Get that next part? Including Peter. I love that. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there just as he told you before he died. Hey, uh, hey, go get the disciples and um, get, <laughs> go find Peter because like he's, he's and the inference here is that Peter's not around. Peter's like gone. Peter's like. He doesn't want to see the resurrected Jesus because if that's true, then, then, then what I did is even worse. And here comes Jesus. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Let Peter know I can't wait to see him. What? Jesus, uh, Jesus you, you, you sure you want us to go find Peter? Um, did, you, did you hear about the whole, like, he blew up, he like, started cussing people out, said he never knew you? Huh. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I love Peter. You go get Peter. Romans chapter 15 says, where sin is increased, grace increases all the more. Huh. 
That's a message for the kingdom. This is what Jesus is doing. This is his world. Your brokenness may get in the way, and your feeling of shame will be the sign that you can't see Jesus the way he sees you. You see, shame and guilt is what happens in us after I've confessed and after I've brought it to Jesus and after I've received his forgiveness, which is freely offered to every single person. Those feelings of guilt and shame that linger in my life are not from him. Oh, sadness, sorrow, guilt may drive me to him in repentance, but when I've brought it before him and I've confessed him, I leave it there and it's done. It's gone. It's free. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. You see, your, your, your strengths and your failures are, 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 are the same in this way. They both, they both get in the way of seeing Jesus. They both have a way of, of, of sneaking up and we can't see Jesus. All we can see is our strengths and our goodness and our ability or all I can see is my weakness and my failure and my brokenness and my sin. But either way, I can't see Jesus and what we need to do is we need something that says when, when anxiousness rises up in me over those things I fear and when guilt rises up in me, I say, no, 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 no. You gotta get the self out of the way. You've gotta take that shame and put it off to the side so all I can see is Jesus. I heard a story recently. One of my, one of my favorite preachers to listen to was, uh, told this story, and it was such a good story. I thought to myself, it can't be true. So I fact-checked the preacher. I, know, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but sometimes you should fact-check the preacher. I'm just saying. Like, go look the story up and see. Because I didn't want to tell you a story if it wasn't true. And I looked it up, I'm like, dang, it's true. Diogenes was a Greek philosopher a few hundred years before the time of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was one of the fathers of a school of philosophy called cynicism. They called him Diogenes the Cynic. <laughs> How awesome of a name. Some of you, you could join that group. <laughs> know you. And Diogenes was, so one of the famous things about him was he was a, a contemporary of Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great is going around the world and he's conquering the world and he's this young guy and everybody is either afraid of him, fawning over him, everybody except Diogenes. And Alexander the Great loved Diogenes. He just like admired him. This guy's like, he, he was unflappable, he was unimpressible. I mean, he just, so he just loved this guy. He wanted his applause. And so the story goes that Alexander the Great comes on a victory tour to the city of Corinth and he gets to Corinth and there's this big parade and everybody comes out and they're just fawning all over Alexander the Great, the conqueror of the world. Everybody, Alexander the Great notices except Diogenes. So he says to his people, he's like, where's, where's Diogenes? Like, I thought he, you know, how would he be here? I want to see. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's, um, uh, he's at his, it was sort of like a summer house just outside the city. He's like, it's like in the suburbs. He's, 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 he's taking a break. He's at, his, he's at his house. And Alexander Gray's like, oh, let's go see him. It's a true story. I looked it up. It was on the internet. It must be true. <laughs> so I got multiple sources. Wikipedia, right? Plutarch actually writes about that. That sounds more official, doesn't it? 
So they go there. They go to his house, and sure enough, there's Diogenes. And he's out on the lawn sunning himself. I didn't even know that was a thing 2,000 years ago. He's just out sunning himself. And here comes Alexander the Great. And Diogenes is like, like, like laying there or sitting there, and Alexander the Great's like, hey, Diogenes, I conquered the world. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. And Alexander the Great says to him, I admire you so much, Diogenes. He's just so impressed with this guy. He says, what would you like me to grant you? Anything. And Diogenes says, could you move a little to the right? You're standing in the way of my son. <laughs> True story. Recorded for all of history. Everybody sitting around went, that wasn't in Plutarch's thing, but I know it happened. Like, people like, hey, hey. I can't, I can't see the sun. You're in the way of the sun. <laughs> what boldness. Would to God that he would give us the boldness to say to our strengths that we trust in and that bring us so much anxiousness. Hey, you're getting in the way of my son. You're getting in the way of my view of Jesus. You just could, could, you, could you just, you're gonna have to get out of the way. All to my guilt and my shame that just, just conquers my soul and makes me feel terribly unworthy. Could you just, you're going to have to get out of the way. I need to see Jesus. I need to see Jesus. I don't want to see how strong I am, how able I am, how good I am, how much money I have, how many friends I have, how good of a mom I am, how good of a dad, how much charisma I have. I don't want to see any of that. I just want to see Jesus. That's it today. Just let me see Jesus. I don't want to hear how guilty and how shameful and how broken and how many times I returned to the same behavior and did the same stupid thing. I don't want to see it. I just want to see Jesus. Just want to see Jesus. So you know what? Get out of my way so I can see Jesus. And that's how Jesus began to start to take this moment of the resurrection and turn it into a kingdom movement. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I don't know where you're at and how your faith may just be failing you, but my guess is something got between you and Jesus. And you just need these quiet moments just to pray. pray and say, Jesus, I just want to see you. I just want to fix my eyes on you, not on my strength, not on my ability, not on my goodness. I just want to fix my eyes on you. Not on my weakness, my failure, my sin, my faults, 
my shame, my guilt, just on you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you found that your faith has just been faltering, maybe it's shown up in the feelings of anxiousness or guilt, then I invite you just to use these moments to fix your eyes on Jesus. And perhaps you're here and, wow, what a day. You've been trying to figure out where Jesus fits in your life. And you watched all these people parade across the stage, going down into the waters of baptism, declaring their faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've begun to hear the still small voice of God calling to you, knocking at the door of your heart. Here's what he says in Revelation. If, if you hear me knocking, open that door, invite me in. I'll come. Maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't want to let this moment pass without inviting you to do just that, right where you're seated in the quiet of the moment. You might pray something like this, Dear God, I believe in you. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I need your gift of forgiveness. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on a cross for me. You were buried in a grave and you rose again so I could have a new life. And I accept it. I invite you into my life. Help me to live my life fully for you. I pray. In Jesus' name.